All right. Hello, Vineyard. Hey. And uh, this is obviously not Doug. Not Doug. And uh, so if you don't know, this is my my love, Alice, and Hi, she's going to help me with the podcast today. Still uh, doing some uh, uh, remodeling over in the sanctuary, and so where we normally do the podcast isn't available to us right now. So we're going to do it uh, right here. And Alice is going to help. I thought it might be better that way. And uh, actually, actually you her help. idea. Yeah, yeah. Her idea. She said, I'll ask the questions for you. So uh, I think that will work. And I'm just turning my phone off here so it doesn't ring. And uh, we have some good questions. We do. Uh, and so we'll. Uh, These are tough. Yeah, yeah, they are tough. Okay, tough go ahead. Okay, the first one is you mentioned we're imagers in training. So for me, in this training, lots of feelings arise and come to provide false answers of who I am. Do you have any favorite Bible verses to meditate on for finding our identity in Christ and knowing how much he loves us? What advice would you give to a believer who hears the truth but has a hard time believing the truth about who they are in Christ? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Um those are normal struggles. And so um, it just takes, uh, well, part of that is your faith and knowing yeah. this is what God says about you and you have to, you have to, that's what he does. And it's, it's really, it's because of who he is more than who you are. But then, then the amazing thing is, is who you are in him, which is, you know, even more amazing. And so right. we, we start realizing that our identity has uh has that to it. It's because uh, Holy Spirit's in us and, um, you know, God is seeing us. God is seeing us in the perfection of his son, which is amazing. It's how God chooses to see us. And so even though we're still a work in progress, you know, and that's the Holy Spirit's in us, you know, sanctification's going on. God is choosing to see us in that perfection, which is how God is. And so Mm -hmm. at some level, we have to begin to settle in that and, and realize that's more real than the things that we will sometimes think about ourselves or that other people are projected on us or things that we've taken in. We have a very real enemy who's trying to, you know, knock that down all the time. And so it, it's more important to um, to really consider who you are in Christ, which is why those verses you asked for, good. There's all, you know, everywhere in the scripture, it's filled with those things. I have a few though, that because um, you asked. So John 1, 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Hmm. So, you know, we're, we're, we're adopted in, right? We, we become the children of God. It's an amazing thing that happens. And that's who you are. You're a child of the living God. And, and so you have to hang on to that and remember that. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And again, that's for each one of us. And that's for you. Uh, you're, you're, you're chosen uh, by him. You're a special possession. I like that. He, he loves us, you know, in another place in scripture, it says that we're his uh, poema, his, mm. his, uh, his handiwork, his art, you know, his masterpiece. So we hang on to that. First yeah. John three, one and two says, so see what, what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him, dear friends. Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So all of this, you know, is this amazing thing. The Holy Spirit's at work in us, and when Jesus comes back for us, uh, it, it, you know, we, everything is going to be the way it was always intended to be. So just keep pressing into that. That's who you really are. 
Keep reminding yourself that. Know that you have a very real enemy who's going to try and steal that from you. Okay, he doesn't want you to rest in your identity. Um, you know, he wants to take that from you. Uh, and so just realize that a lot of that is battle and keep, uh, keep pressing in. Mm-hmm. Amen. Okay. The second one is, could you explain who the three men were who visited Abraham in Genesis 18? Later in the chapter, it seems like two were angels and one was the Lord. But Abraham doesn't seem to have had the fear of any of them that everybody else in the Bible had when angels appeared, much less God. Context. Yeah, great. Well, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, so the, the the three men, you know, we believe one of them was was the Lord himself in, in human appearance, was God himself, Yahweh, because that's how it's written, and that the other two were angels. And let me say that in the Old Testament, they, they have um, these sort of places where it it looks like God appears in human form. They would call those theophanies. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes there's things where it looks like it's pre-incarnate Jesus. And they would call those Christophanies. And 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 you we can't really tell them apart necessarily. But here, you know, we're we're pretty confident it was the Lord and uh who came in, in human form uh and two angels. And those two angels would be the ones later that go to Sodom. Uh and so, you know, why is Abraham's response? Not like everybody else's where they're immediately falling down. He apparently realizes it's the Lord. And, and, uh, and he does, the reason for that was is that he, he runs over and gets um, uh, prostrate. I always oh, want to make sure I use the right word. <laughs> so I, I have to think twice about he, it. He yeah, falls yeah. on his face. Yeah, yeah. Boom. Once he runs over there, though, he does, but he greets him that way. So he knows that he's in the presence of the Lord. And it's probably different than most reactions because he's already had some pretty uh, intense encounters with God. Uh, and so he recognizes it. Right. All right. So, so, you know, we start reading about his encounters back in Genesis 12. And so you, you uh, there, I think there's something like that, but so his realization is that it's him and he goes over and he bows down, but he's not just wiped out in fear like almost everybody else is when they see an angel. Mm-hmm. So I think really that's what's going on. Um, Historically, you know, some of the, the, the Jewish historians would have a different account about who those three guys are, which is kind of interesting, might be worth a little study. But, um, you know, we would say that's from the way that we read it in context. It was the Lord in as a theophany or a Christophany and two angels who will later go uh, in the next chapter to Sodom and um, do with that. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Cool. The third one is in my personal readings, I read Psalm 18. Great psalm, which one isn't? But after hearing the parable Jesus told about the tax collector and the Pharisee, I don't know how to feel about verses 21 through 23 in Psalm 18. My study Bible tells me that blameless character of a king before his God was a common theme in royal inscriptions and prayer. But I'm still torn between, is David just explaining his righteousness that God rewarded? And is David boasting? Yeah, the, the Psalms are great, aren't they? I love the Psalms. I've, I'm always encouraging people to read the Psalms. I, I wrote a devotional book on the Psalms uh, and encourage people to read them. And actually, you know, the way, uh, a great way to read the Psalms is is that you read, you know, uh, they're broken up. So 150, you know, you can read them through the course of the month. Right. And uh, in, in the book that I wrote, uh, which is, is a free online download, uh, it's all sort of measured out how to do that. So you read about the amount, same amount of time. You can't just divide it by 
because five Psalms are different length. And so that gets, but I, I think, uh, and I love reading them because of the interactions and because of the emotion and because of uh, all of the different ways that people are approaching God and they're angry or they're happy or they're in the mix, you know, in the middle of those two things. Um, the Psalm that you're talking about, Psalm 18, the verses in particular were for David says, for I've kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. So that's what he's saying. And, and, um, uh, it, hmm. <laughs> it, it could be that in the, in this instance, he, he may have done just that exactly what he was supposed to do. On that day. Yeah. Yeah. And at that moment and what was being rewarded, but in the course of his life, he's like all of us, he's blown it bad. Right. And, uh, and yet, it's still a man after God's own heart, David. So, uh, I love that about God that yeah. that we can we can Ugh. we can get way off track, and yet because He loves us, uh, and He still sees us in this, you know, even then He was looking yeah. through history. You know, I love that about God. He sees things differently than we do. I have Thank used that goodness. illustration before of how uh, Alice likes to do these um, <laughs> cross stitchy things. Yeah. And cross stitchy things. Cross stitchy yeah, things. And on the front, they look beautiful, but on the back, it's a bunch of knots. You know, it's a mess. Uh, and uh, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I about. don't do knots and cross stitch, but we don't need to. Well, you know, you know, <laughs> needle points. Whichever one doesn't look good from the other side. Yeah. Uh, and 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 yet God is looking at the finished product, and we're seeing all the mess yeah. on on the flip side. Yeah. And so. Um, this is true. I you know David, uh, you know he owns up his mess quite often. Um, Speaking like that, it could be, you know, that's why your Bible's saying the kings were, you know, look at me. And and, uh, and so there's quite a balance going on there. Right. Um, but, you know, it's not certainly forever. But at that at that point, whatever was happening, he feels like he's being rewarded because at this point he did it right. right. Uh, you know, and he's just been delivered um, from Saul and from all the other enemy, enemies and seen God move. He was very young. He was young. Yeah. So, um so yeah, uh, it's interesting to read, but hold it all intention as you read it. Yeah. And it's it's pretty good. Okay. So it could be both. He was doing both. I think he is doing both. He was doing both. Yeah. Okay. So next one is, you showed the parallel of Jesus in Israel, water, wilderness, mountains, etc. In light of that, my question is about Hebrews two seventeen. Given that the audience of Hebrews were recent Jewish converts. Was the author making the point that Jesus went through everything Israel had to go through in their history to show that Jesus can relate to them and is actually carrying their story forward? Or was he talking more about Jesus being able to relate to all of us and our struggles on a more personal level? That's a great question. That's, Good job. That's, yeah. Let me read you the verse, Hebrews 2.17. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and then he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Mm. Um, what you picked out was right. It's both. See, he is, uh, Jesus is, you know, Israel. He's, he's, the, he's the one that does everything that they were supposed to do. He's, he's yeah. it. The story finds its fulfillment in him. It's, it's completed in him. And so he's all those things. And so there's, there's all these wonderful tie-ins that happen. And in the same way, so we can also relate to him on a personal level that he experienced these things, uh, and so that he could, re, you know, he could relate to us. He understands what it is to be us. He, he gets it, mm -hmm. and, and that's important for us to know. 
and and so the it's a it's a great tie-in but you you did great putting those things together yeah. and and how they look because it's oftentimes in scripture it's both you know it's it's mm-hmm. both and there's a there's a tension in our way of thinking a lot of times we get it's got to be one way or the other but in in the Hebrew way of thinking, it doesn't. They can hold two sort of seemingly opposite things in tension at the same time, and they don't have any issue with that at all. So um, we have to be able to do that. It's it's both. It's very personal, and at the same time, Jesus is the the representative of Israel, if you would. He's the fulfillment of all that and carries their story forward. So yeah. great pickup and great question. Mm. Neither it's not either or. It's and and both. Yeah. Okay. What is the struggle Jacob had with God, Genesis 32, and how does this link in with our lives? So, you know, to get the whole story, you kind of have to think about Jacob. Um, <laughs> Jacob was has, has an interesting life really prior to this big encounter with God. And uh, uh, he was very determined, very ruthless. He wanted what he wanted and he went after it and, and didn't you know, didn't really care about uh, other folks. It was what he wanted. And so um, he was deceptive. He was kind of a con artist. Um, He lied Mm -hmm. uh, fairly often. He manipulated circumstances when you read about him. And, uh, and so his name, Jacob, uh, not only means deceiver, which is when it means grabber, because he, he grabbed stuff that didn't belong to him. And so this is a, you know, pretty significant part of his life. Well, in this encounter that he has, uh, it's an angelic stranger, but later Jacob will say, no, I saw God face to face and survived. Um, what comes out of this struggle is that he's left with a limp and, and, uh, hmm. uh, and it, he's not only, but he's also, he's left with a limp and a blessing because it says uh, in, in Genesis 32, 29, that God blessed him there. So what comes out of this struggle is, oh, and a name change, right? Uh, Israel, which, uh, you know, he, he, he could mean he struggles with God. Uh, and, and, and so this is, you know, a very important moment in his life, this struggle. And, and what he comes away with is the, the realization of his absolute dependency on God mm-hmm. and that he wants to do it God's way. Mm-hmm. And the limp is going to remind him of that forever uh, for the rest of his life. Uh, every time he takes a step, he's going to remember yeah. who God yeah. is and who he and who he isn't, you know, who who Jacob isn't any longer. He's now Israel, but it's because mm-hmm. of God, not because of Jacob. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about his deceptions and lies and manipulation. It was about the fact that God is God and God will do what he says he's going to do. Right. And, and there's something about yeah, Alice and I will often use this, um, you know, in the kingdom. People who sort of have had an encounter like that and walk with a limp. That's kind of what you're looking for in, in people. We often will talk about, you know, when in people that are, that we um, would consider for ministry positions, um, leadership leadership positions of some sort is, is, you know, is have they had that encounter and is there a limp? Um, Because until you get there, it's a little dangerous Um, because you can, uh, it's very easy to mess up a whole lot of people because without being dependent on God in a position of leadership, you can very quickly become manipulative, deceptive, all those other things. And so it's really this type of encounter that we, we all need to make sure that, you know, Mm -hmm. we've, we've understood and pressed through. So it's a very significant thing. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, it's a very cool sort of picture the way it happens here. So, yeah, you know, those are those are huge encounters and uh, they are very significant. They are. And I think in leadership often, you know, you you can identify with people who admit that they struggle much more than you can identify with people that have it all together. Right. And don't don't share any of their their struggles because none of us have it all together. None of us do. So I think, I think that's very telling of this story that before that he was, you know, Jacob, and then he was Israel, but he walked with a limp. So when you're in your ministry or your leadership position, you're going to have a little bit of a limp. Yeah. Well, hopefully hopefully. (laughs) if not check anyway. That's just two cents. Yeah. You're the theologian. No, it's all good. And can I thank the cat for letting me use her chair? Yeah. She can. <laughs> okay. She's not in this show. No, she's She's not. up there on the window. She, well, I've got her chair. Yeah, so there you anyway. go. She can't get down. <laughs> no, not till I put the chair. Uh-huh. Okay. Last question. Mm, two more. Oh, two more. I'm so sorry. My daughter and I are praying more together and trying to get closer through, trying to get closer to, to each other and to God. I am reading the Bible as you had suggested all of us do. I follow your service as well as her church's service. My question is, her church is doing a 21-day fast, and they are encouraged to read The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. I have read conflicting things about praying circles and would like to know your opinion. Okay. So, uh, so, so you know, for... for uh, us older folks, prayer circles were just people gathering around in a circle, holding hands and having at it, right? But yeah. that's this new bo- this book that's come out by Mark Battison is about prayer circles. And um, what he suggests has actually to do with a, a sort of prayer request and that you, it's an act, you write, you draw a circle around it. And um, he uses a, a story out of the first century uh, of some, um, of a Jewish, uh, I don't know, theologian or uh, whoever he was. Um uh, had had decided that he was going to draw a circle on the in the sand or something. He was going to stand in there until God came and um, answered a, a prayer about a drought that they were having, okay. and and so and apparently it worked. And then it builds out of there, and so um, um, so for some people it's been this is a great sort of way to focus and they focus them on prayer. And for others, uh, they think you know it's it's too sort of name it and claim it or. Um, not a good situation. And, and so that's why you're seeing a lot of controversy in this. Yes. And there's always controversy about everything. So, you know, my opinion, um, I'm a, listen, anything that helps people to pray more, I'm for mm-hmm. with the, the understanding that there is no formula that gets God to move. Right. F- because we want it. So you can circle all sorts of things, but if it's not in the will of God, you know, it's, it's not the issue. But if, 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 if circling something causes you to get more into it, see, that's why I hate to go, well, it's always this, or it's always this. It's like cautiously, if a book like that encourages you to pray more deeply and, and more often Mm -hmm. go for it, but, but be careful that it's not just result driven. Right. You know, the, the idea of prayer is really about our relationship. It's just connecting with God. You know, the scripture talks about when, when, we, when we're in the will of God, prayers are just things happening. And, and the thing is, it's not because he's doing what we want. It's because we've really aligned with what he wants. Right. 
And, and he's moving on those things all the time. And we're just kind of moving our way into it. Mm -hmm. So, so to me, that's the balance. It's a, um, it's a, you know, I would hate to just go, no, it's, you know, there's like everything that's extra biblical, like the story he uses is extra, extra biblical, which means it's not necessarily in the Bible. It's not in the Bible, that story. Now he ties scripture into it. But you have to be careful that you're not taking scripture out of context to make it say what you want to say, which is where we go. But it's still scripture, so to balance. And so when you when you're reading a lot of books um, about all these things, just be very careful. It's uh, uh, I would I often say to people, it's like if you were at my house and I gave you a chicken leg for dinner, I would expect you to eat the meat and not the bone because I would anticipate that you would realize that the bone wasn't something that you eat. Well, scripture's kind of, books like that, not scripture, but books like that, mm -hmm. take take all the good meat off of them, but just know that that in everything that's not scripture, there's a bone or two. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, that's just part of the deal and you have to be, you have to be looking for it. Right. So I think if it's, if it's something that will draw you and your daughter closer together and closer to the Lord, good, but be careful that you're not, don't get, some people will get, um, uh, they'll get a thing like that, and then they hold to it so rigidly that it's it becomes a, a not a good thing. So take it if it's you know uh, if it's drawing you closer to God, I'm in. But still know that there is no formula to get God to do. It's not A plus B equals C in the kingdom. It's just not because right. we're not people aren't like that. No, we're made in His image. Yeah, I'm just reminded of that C.S. famous C.S. Lewis quote. Someone asked him why he prayed, and he said. I don't pray to change God. My prayers change me. Right. It changes me. It changes me. I'm yeah. probably paraphrasing that very badly. It's, it's pretty close. Yeah. That's actually, I use that in one of my books. That so it yeah. starts one of the books. Yeah. So. Yes. Thank you, C.S. Lewis. Okay. Last one. Although it is not recorded in the scriptures, do you think that Paul actually stood trial before Caesar? Good question. Yes. Um and, and you, you would think that would have made the scripture, don't yeah. you? I often think that. I'm yeah. like, these other trials know. made the scripture, yeah. you know, the little ones that he had with, with Felix and uh, mm -hmm. whoever. Um, so we don't know for sure. However, in Acts 27, 23, Paul says that an angel came and told him um, that he had to stand trial before Caesar. So if mm -hmm. if Paul was hearing correctly, which we would could guess, right. and the angel was feeding him good information from that i would you would probably say probably he did yeah um uh, but it's not recorded so it's my you know it's a it, it's going to be an opinion um and i would base my opinion on the fact that the angel said you're going to go stand trial so um i i would say yeah probably but i i don't we can't really know mm -hmm. so it's a good question but but yeah because of that verse i would say I've already said that four times. I keep answering the question. I know. Probably, but I don't know. But we don't know for sure. Yeah. So, I don't know. There you go. I don't know how to say it with any yeah. more ambivalence. It's above it's above <laughs> our education. <laughs> but a good question. Yeah. Nonetheless. Yeah. So those are the questions that we had for today. And that was fun. I'm glad you fun. joined. And yeah. uh this weekend, you know, tune in. We should have a great weekend. I'll be in yeah. uh part two of uh imager and training. And I'm going to be looking at the second of the Beatitudes, which is uh, um, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Uh, and so I'm, I'm digging into that, looking forward to that and, and uh, just doing this whole series with you. Um, 
I have no idea yet what Douglas is doing for the worship but set. But it's going to be good. It is going to be good. And uh, we'll have some fun there. And Billy and Angie will be back, right? Pastor Billy and Angie will be there with us. And so we're looking forward to that. Um, and we're we're continuing to, you know, do the little remodel in the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. So that will look different every time you come. Mm -hmm. And um, tune in. Yeah, or tune in. Yeah. And, and a lot of the changes we're doing in the sanctuary are for those of you that are watching online. Yeah. So it's going to be cool for us on in there too, but it's, we're changing, you know, some of the color schemes and some of the lighting so that we, uh, we are providing the best possible sort of uh, experience. But thank you. <laughs> We've for, been married a long yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you watching online, we have been. <laughs> we finish each other. Yeah. Yeah. We got married in 1982. I know back when it was disco fever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We yeah. have a picture, remember? The yeah, head I, know, I know, yeah, yeah. It's not good. Let's not bring that up. <laughs> All right. So uh, I think we're done here. And uh, goodbye, yeah. Daniel. God bless you guys. See you guys. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching today's service from Keys Vineyard Community Church. Make sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to us on YouTube. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.